Magandang araw podmates, Howie Severino muli na bukod sa nagpapaalala na nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span ay nagpapasalamat din sa kauna-unahang award ng Howie Severino Podcast na iginawad ng Catholic Mass Media Award for Best Education Program. So maraming salamat po para sa parangal na ito. Ang guest natin ngayon ay may makulay na buhay at uh, mahabang career sa pagiging aktivista Human Rights Campaigner mula nung uh, nasa kolehyo pa siya nung dekada 60 hanggang ngayon na uh, nagtatanggol siya ng mga karapatan ng mga senior citizen. Edna Aquino, dating Amnesty International Campaigner sa London, ngayon influencer sa iba't ibang issue ng human rights. Magandang araw sa iyo, Edna Aquino. Hello, Howie. Magandang hapon sa lahat. At kinagagala uh, ko na maging panahuhin mo dito sa iyong podcast. Isa akong taga-anga. <laughs> salamat, salamat, Edna. The, the, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> Pero I, I want to open, uh, Edna, with with some good news, no? Kasi um, former Senator Lila De Lima uh, was in jail for uh, seven years, no? And has been recently released. And uh, she was uh, our highest profile political prisoner in modern times. What does it say about our political environment today? Anong reaction nyo nung uh, uh, pinalaya si former Senator Delima? Well, um, first of all, yung pitong taon niya, almost seven years ng pagkakulong, is a gross injustice, no? Especially based on Trump up, just, uh, Trump up charges. Kaya sa tingin ko, yung... Bagamat wini-welcome natin yung pagpapalaya kay Senator Laila, I think hindi doon nagtatapos dapat ang pagpuprosigin ng ustisya kasi um, siguro yung ginawa sa kay Senator Laila ang isa sa pinaka-maduming paggamit ng justice system ng gobyerno. Uh, kung maalaanan nyo, uh, katakot-takot na pambabastos sa kanyang pagkatao ang ginawa hindi lang ng presidente, alam naman natin, si President Duterte nung panahon ng kanyang administrasyon ay nangunguna sa pambabastos sa mga kababailan. Pero mismo yung Kongreso, no? pinagtulong-tulungan siya. At Senado din, no? mga colleagues niya sa, sa Senate na dapat ay naging manlang nagpakita ng civility sa kanilang kapwa-senador. So sa akin, ano eh, Mahabang paglalakbay pa itong nangyari kay Senator Laila. Uh, as I said, wini-welcome natin kasi dapat lang talaga na mapalaya siya. Pero I really hope that Senator Laila would pursue uh, her case against the government and really put on record that what they did to her should not happen to anyone. Kasi magsiset na yan ng president uh, kahit na sabihin pa na pinalaya siya. Remember na ang basis ng pagpapalaya sa kanya is still very much uh, relatively tenuous, no? Hindi pa tapos, hindi pa talaga fully sinara yung mga kaso sa kanya, nag-retract yung mga witnesses. Pero wala pang final verdict eh, na siya ay inosente sa mga ginawang trump-up charges sa kanya. Yeah, tama kayo. I mean, I, I, I should have I should have prefaced my question by saying she's out on bail pa lang. Wala pa talagang final decision yung kaso. But in fact, theoretically, pwede pa siyang ibalik sa kulungan, no? Yes. At natutuwa ako na kahit na gano'n ang ginawa sa kanya, um, kung makikita uh, nyo sa mga statements niya, although mas delicate ang kanyang pagsasagot sa mga questions ng media, makikita mo na 
uh, nandoon yung determination niya na maituwid talaga yung ginawa sa kanya. Kung paano niya gagawin yan sa current political climate nga na kung saan uh, ginagawa rin siyang parang uh, trophy ng gobyerno BBM para ipakita na uh, may justice system sa Pilipinas na nagbibigay ng supposedly justness sa case na tulad ng kanya. Before we leave the topic of Senator Lima, I want to know your thoughts about how this the release of Lyle uh, De Lima on parole no, uh, is helping fuel this narrative that uh, Marcos Jr. is better uh, and less autocratic uh, than uh, former President Duterte, uh, more respectful of rule of law and more respectful of you know human rights. Do you think Marcos Jr., President Marcos Jr., deserves any credit for for anything? Uh, well, because it's so vulgar that we administration when we talk about civility, decency, no, yung pumalit sa kanya kay papano mabango no relatively mabango effective ang handling sa kanya maski pa naman no presidential campaign ngayon uh, ano tingin ko sa kanya i think uh, may mga signs na na talagang ano hindi siya hindi siya ganoon ka direct ang nagbibigay ng order kung papano ang handling ang treatment ng mga pulisan na limbawa sa mga oposisyon no uh, de- very deliberate yun, na hindi niya papel yan papel na yan ng ng mga enforcers. Pero makikita mo, may mga unti-unti na mga reports tungkol sa EJ case. Uh, hindi naman talaga tumigil yung uh, EJK na related sa droga. Tapos may balita nung isang araw tungkol sa disappearances ng dalawang aktivista. So, uh, hindi natin nakikita kasi bakit? Ba- posible na Siguro, baka yung mga kasama natin sa media, hindi rin na masyadong nagka-follow up na sa mga pangyayaring ganyan. Baka pat, pati tayo din na dadala doon sa ganong klaseng image na, pin, na pinopromote tungkol sa kanya. No? At ang preoccupation kasi natin ngayon, sa totoo lang din, ay tungkol sa kagutuman. No? Paghihirap din ng, ng, mga, ng mga kababayan natin na gihikaos. Tapos yung usapin mismo ng climate change, napakalaking problema ng climate change. Kaliwat kanan yung mga disasters na nangyayari sa probinsya. Limbawa, yung, yung recent lang na baha pala sa summer, hindi man lang nakarating dito sa Maynila ang mga balita. Unless nakikita natin sa TV. So, maraming pangyayari sa iba't, bahagi, iba't ibang bagi ng bansa na hindi na natin masyadong binibigyan ng atensyon. At dyan siguro ang hamon natin sa nakasamahan sa media na baka may kailangan ding tingnan kung bakit uh, at ano ang papel nila in terms of pagpapakita ng mga mas manawak na pananaw tungkol sa tunay na pangyayari sa bansa. Effective talaga yung communication handling ng government ni BBM tungkol sa kanyang image. I have to get into that. Minsan ako, mat- ako nadadala din eh. Yeah, okay, pero nabanggit mo nga yung campaign, no? Uh, yung presidential campaign, uh, you you did not uh, of course uh, support him. You supported his main opponent, si Lenny Robredo, no? Uh, in fact, uh, yung mga yung mga kalaban niya, yung mga uh, nangangampanya laban kay uh, BBM or Marcus Jr. ay yung iba nagsinasabi, he's an existential threat and uh, parang 
it seemed to be like a life and death struggle no nung nung, nung panahon ng kampanya no so when he won how did you feel I was not surprised at all kasi matagal kong binantayan yung ano eh yung resurgence pagbabalik ng mga Marcoses mula pa nung unang tumatakbo sila sa local election tapos uh, sa Senate unti-unti napakahusay ng strategy nila for a comeback so hindi ako talaga nagulat apart from of course stories of malalim ang bulsa nila for the election pero ano ah uh, meron din akong gustong ipunto dito na isa siguro din sa uh, naging na isa din siguro sa nakatulong kahit papano sa kampanya ni BBM na nagpanalo sa kanya na ang ilang bahagi ng oposisyon yung narrative na natin namin na tigil na doon sa martial law ng tatay niya na bagamat malaga no hindi siya tumutuhog doon sa mga sa mga hindi namin ka generation eh no sa mga batang generate ano siya imagine story siya ng depression ng martial law no kaya kahit ano pang sabihin na ganito talaga nangyari sa amin ng martial law hindi siya tumatagos eh uh, and i think that is something na ano kailangan patuloy na pag-aralan kung paano natin ikwento yung nangyari ng martial law and yet hindi tayo tumitigil sa narrative na yon kasi nga Masyado nang matmalayo sa imahinasyon ng sumunod ng mga generasyon, ng mga basta kakabatang generasyon. In fact, mis- mismo sa mga kageneration namin, malayo din siya eh. Kasi kung hindi talaga sila direktang na-involved sa political struggle ng panahon na yon, malayo din eh. Parang kinakausap ko yung mga kapitbahay ko na mga seniors din. Hindi ano hindi hindi tumitimo yung kwento sa kanila about martial law. And, and that is something to reflect upon, no? Yeah, you know, um nagulat ako ano na actually totoo yung sinasabi mo no, pero siguro dahil ako ay nasa mga silo din ng aking mga social circles na uh, medyo woke, no? Uh, they're very conscious of what's going on in society, you know, the uh, the politics uh, and the history uh, ng, ng ating bansa no so akala ko yung itong pag sinabing never again no ng, ng, ng mga aktivista akala ko that really kind that really uh, had an impact no kasi uh, 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 madalas naman may lumalabas sa media eh uh, sa kasaysayan natin sa nung uh, martial law no may may mga may mga monumento tayo may bantayog no um, there are there are some there are movies that have been made. May mga libro naman na lumabas. May mga movements. May so may mga social media accounts and you know Facebook pages about about all of this. No, and yet sinasabi mo nga ngayon na parang it really it didn't really seep down. No, uh, and of course we know that now because uh, because of the uh, comeback of the Marcoses. No, but from a, you know from your international experience, no, other countries have gone through similar. Uh, historical traumas, no? They've gone through um, experiences that they don't want to repeat again, and haven't, haven't, and it haven't hasn't been repeated. You know, in Europe, Europe has gone through some terrible things, no? Holocaust is just one extreme example, no? So, what have other societies done that were more effective than what has happened in the Philippines? Tayo may sabi nyo nga, may, may may collective trauma tayo, or 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 do you think this trauma didn't affect enough? people. By coincidence, nanonood ako ng Miss Universe contest last week. No? 
And, you know, the, the venue is El Salvador. Nung panahon ko, we were campaigning against human rights violations in Salvador when we were having our democratic case during the latter part now of martial law here in the Philippines. Green, napaka-green ng pangyayari sa, sa, sa El Salvador nung panahon na yon, no? Mas brutal ang, at gumamit pa ng mga contrast, no? Ang U.S. government ng panahon na yon, nag-import pa ng mga mercenaries para gumawa ng mga human rights violations. Uh, but look at El Salvador now, parang wala rin nangyaring kadilima nung panahon na yon. So I was thinking, parang may comparison yata yung nangyari sa El Salvador at sa Pilipinas. So, yun ang isang, isa sigurong ano, pwede kong sabihin na hindi lang sa Pilipinas nangyayari yan. No? Sa maraming parte kung saan a generation ng martial ng Philippines. Nicaragua, alimbawa, isa rin yan. Iniidolo namin noon si Ortega na namuno ng liberation movement sa Nicaragua. And it turned out to, later on, he turned out to be a dictator and even accused of violence against women, sarili niyang stepdaughter. So, you know, um, ngayon, ano, ano naman yung kabilang mukha? I think I'm looking at the example of Chile, kunyari. But why Chile? Kasi malawak talaga yung ginawa ni Pinochet, tsaka mas mahaba talaga yung, yung repression period ni, ni Pinochet sa, sa Chile. At, and I have to give credits to the to the activists in Chile, very enduring din sila talaga, no? Uh, so, yun ang isang, isa siguro nakikita kong ka-generation ng Pilipinas ng panahon na yun, the those dark years of the 70s, no? When several countries were under similar condition of what you call then the low-intensity conflicts in Latin America. This was also done here in the Philippines. So, Chile would be something um, I can think of na, and I think there are Several factors kung bakit ganun, the magnitude of the problem, the, the resilience of the opposition of the movement, and they handled it well to the point that uh, they were able to really successfully brought to power, you know, um, progressive uh, politicians, no? Uh, so, yun ang isang nakikita po example. Siguro, ang reflection na dapat mangyari would be on the part of the opposition kasi alam naman natin ang nangyari sa opposition dito. We had many uh, episodes of fragmentation, no? Malalim, uh, ideolo- malamin yung ideological differences. And, you know, election after election, I would be one of those voices saying, mag-unite kayo, mag-unite tayo, and yet, parang, it was landing on deaf ears. So, ilang elections na yan, ang panawa, isa ako sa mga nanawagan na pwede ba umupo muna tayo at magkaisa tayo. So, there was that little window nung panahon ni Lenny na pa, kahit mapano nagsama-sama. And yet, marami pa rin, uh, malalim pa din ang uh, distress sa isa't isa. So, I think isa yan sa mga dapat pag-aralan ng mabuti yung sarili nating ilusan ng pagbabago dito sa Pilipinas, no? Wala akong mapanghawakan na pwede kong sabihin, inspired ako at itatayo ako ang pangalan ko kasi none of the political movements here right now really inspire me. No? Yun ang isang problema ko. So, and I think hindi lang ako nag-iisa dyan. Maraming mga kasama ng panahon ng martial law, uh, ano ni Marcos, a position na they would rather 
um, not be identified with any political uh, groupings because, you know, pagka sumama ka, na, na nalilabel ka, ka na kagad na you embrace the full agenda of a particular force. Tapos labeling na yan, tapos hindi ka na maka, wala ka ng espasyo to expand your, 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 yourself, your connection. So that's the problem of the movement here. Something to really think about. Kasi sa tingin ko, kulang pa ng reflection eh. Whichever political forces these are, kulang ng reflection. Kulang ng malalim na pag-aaral kung ano naman yung mga weaknesses natin. So after, limbawa, ng no, uh, campaign ni Lenin, naghahanap ako ng pag-uusap na, mak- na mas makasali sa pag-uusap. Ano ba? Saan ba tayo nagkulang? Saan ba tayo nagkamali? And, um, I have joined one or two conversations. Hindi eh, hindi malalim ang pag-aaral. Ganon din ang nangyari nung previous local election yung senators na natalo lahat. Hindi malalim ang pag-aaral. Kaya yun ang isa siguro masasabi ko na hamon and also a source of disappointments on my part. Yeah. So, well, uh, on the one hand, kailangan maging accountable din yung mga, mga, mga uh, nasa opposition no, for for its own uh, weaknesses and and failings no uh, may, pero may may pananaw din na well a lot of this weakness is a result then of the red tagging na nabanggit mo rin no there are so many people who are afraid of being red tagged no na so it's been very difficult to to organize to to do this kind of reflection as at least as a group diba it's uh you know punting kilos lang mareret tag ka na and then you'll be afraid for your family and so it's created this um you know self censorship this chilling effect etc so in a way would you say that the red tagging uh regardless of how wrong uh it is has been effective well first of all are we red tagging naman it's not a new phenomenon under Duterte it's always been there when I was arrested and eventually detained under Cory Aquino's administration, I was a case of having been red tagged. So, sa akin hindi bago yan eh. Um, and I think that the progressive movements are resilient enough that we could overcome these challenges such as red tagging. Ang problema, sigo, sa tingin ko lang, ha, ang, ang problema is Paano, paano pinapaliwanag ang red tagging such that mabibigyan mo ng connection yung repression na ganyan sa realidad ng ordinaryong tao sa kalye. Kasi, limawa, bigyan kita ng example. Noong panahon ng pandemya, na-involve ako sa isang project on human rights, gumawa na i-survey kung ano ang attitude ng mga tao tungkol sa human rights. no? At ang objective nito ay para makagawa ng mga uh, communication uh, projects that will bring human rights closer to home kasi nga everyone is affected by the pandemic. So, it was very revealing to me when the respondents were asked about what they think of human rights. Almost unanimously, ang sagot na nakuha namin, this cuts across um, different class backgrounds ah, of our respondents. Human rights was framed by the respondents as something out there. It's a legal thing. It's something for the courts to address. Malayo sa realidad nila ang human rights. Samantalang 
ang realidad nila pan, sa gitna ng pandemic yun is, is a question of human rights already. No? Uh, inequitable distribution ng ayuda ng panahon ng pandemia. Hindi yun nila nakikita na human rights yun. Hindi nila nakikita yun na responsibility yun ng government or maski responsibility nila sa kapwa sa isa't isa. Tinanong namin sila tungkol sa question ano tingin nila sa mga nagpaprotesta kasi patuloy naman yung pagpaprotesta ng ilang progressive forces ng panahon ng pandemia. Almost unanimously ang sagot, hindi sila nakakatulong ng gugulo sila. So sa akin as an activist, it was very humbling kasi all these decades that I've been involved in human rights activism, I thought sana nagkaroon na tayo ng dent doon sa consciousness ng mga tao. Pero hindi. Ganun ang pananaw nila. So, I was humbled. But at the same time, it really posed deeper questions in me. Ano ang kulang sa human rights activism at ganun, hindi natin maaabot ang mga ganung klaseng uh, pananaw ng ordinaryong tao sa mga komunidad, no? Pero siyempre, limited yung study namin. Hindi mo naman pwedeng sabihin na gano'n yung kalakhan. Pero at the same time, dahil random yung pagpili namin ng mga respondents, parang may weight naman yung, yung, yung resulta ng aming survey, ng aming focus group discussion na ginawa. ano ibig sabihin nun? Sa punto kanina na binabanggit natin na ano yung kailangan na refleksyon ng oposisyon, mga kilosang pagbabago, I think we really have to to have to study, look deeper into how we communicate, how we relate with ordinary people on the streets. Anagang ang layo natin, ang layo pa natin. And I've heard of unfortunate stories na nung panahon ng election, uh, nag-house to house, yung ating mga kaibigan from gated communities mapunta sa mga depressed communities at hindi nila alam pa paano nila i-handle yung yung interaction nila sa mga tao, no? Sa mga depressed communities. Magdadala ng uh, ayuda. Pero yung question, there is that hindi naka-breakthrough doon sa, sa, ano eh, sa invisible wall between them and the people in those communities. Kasi nga, yung class, no? Uh, hindi sila handa na pumunta sa mga depressed communities at ang mga nasa depressed communities, man, hindi handa na pupuntahan sila ng mga kaibigan natin burgis, no? At makikipag-isa, makikipagkaisa sa kanila. So, yung journey na yan, mahabang paglalakbayan na kailangan, yung mismong gustong makaabot sa mga kababayan natin na nasa mga komunidad na yan, eh, kailangan ding tingnan ang sarili bago sila pumunta sa mga communities na yan at mag-outreach. Hindi yan madaling gawin. Pero ang paghumpisaan mo yan is maging magkaroon ka ng self-awareness na mayroong kang power relationship na kailangan tawirin para maabot mo sila. At hanggang hindi ka aware na mayroong kang ganong klaseng power uh, dynamics or power relationship sa kanila, eh, you know, hindi ka, hindi ka maka-breakthrough sa kanila at hindi, hindi ka makatulong sa pagbabago ng kanilang pananaw. So yun ang, ano, yun ang aking reflection. Yes. Well, uh, obviously, there's, there's that barrier. No? Pero uh, on the other side of it, yung reflection ko naman noong mga panahon na yon, kasi kahit yung mga ibang miyembro ng pamilya ko, ganun din ang ginagawa. No? Pati yung, yung, yung mga kaibigan din ng, ng anak ko, no? lumalabas din sa community nila para mangampanya sa mga ibang communities. No? Ako, ang feeling ko noon, wow, uh, parang ngayon ko lang nakita to na 
may nag yun nga kahit galing sa gated community lumalabas sila doon nagkipag house to house i mean nandoon yung intention i mean basically you're saying you know baka, baka kulang pa sa method or, or approach no pero yung yung motivation to go out and interact with people and try to try to convince them about something good especially younger people that was something new no uh, parang yun ang unang political experience nila and maybe it's the first time na nagkaroon silang dit ng diskusyon ng seri- seryosong diskusyon ng mga tao na hindi nila katulad totoo yan pero ang question diyan Harvey nagawa na yan nabigyan natin ng nabigyan na, na, nabigyan natin ng espasyo na mangyari yung ganung klaseng uh, pagkakataon but how do you sustain that yun ang ano yun ang, yun ang kulang eh kasi wala pang movement na sumasalo sa kanila kasi pag bumalik na sila pagkatapos ng eleksyon magkanya-kanya ng kung, kung saan ka kung saan ka kung saan grupo ka napasama di yun ang mag-aalaga ng yun ang magsusustain ng ng karanasan mo na napakaganda no pero wala yung move, wala yung solidong movement eh yun ang yun ang kulang eh na magdadala niyan para magiging tunay na kinusan siya ng pagbabago and uh, parang nag nagdissipate nagdissipate oh. yung energy I mean where do you go kunyari yung mga yung mga bagong politicized yung mga kabataan na napolitized ng mga kampanya na yon uh, where do they go now if they want to continue their involvement I want to ano uh, ask you now about the uh, International Criminal Court no I mean you you worked for a long time uh, Uh, for Amnesty International in London, which is one of the longest, uh, one of the oldest international human rights groups, uh, uh, and uh, you've been quite skeptical, no, about the ICC's uh, potential for for delivering justice to the Philippines. Because yon katatapos lang ng ng era kung saan ay uh, you know the, the government uh, advocated you know ac- actually advocated killing people and it happened no uh, that was a campaign promise that was kept no by my former president Duterte uh, and now many people are crying for justice at uh, inaasahan yung ICC para magkaroon ng uh, katarungan no um an- anong anong pananaw niyo diyan Ma- maaasahan ba natin yung International Criminal Court para magbigay ng katarungan uh, sa mga naging biktima sa Pilipinas. I don't know kung skeptical ang describe ko sa pananaw ko. Um, siguro, I'm just being realistic. Kasi, tilingnan ko yung uh, mga iba't ibang cases na nakarating na sa ICC at inabot talaga ng maraming taon yan. So, isa yan siguro sa realidad ko. Pangalawang realidad ko, Siguro yung, hindi siguro, but pangalawang niladad ko yung the fact na you have countries like the US and China, two big superpowers who have not signed up to the ICC, the Rome Statute of the ICC. So which means that may problema sa credibility, sa, kay- sa kakayanan ng ICC na talagang mapursigi ito. Pangatlo, yung usapin din ng the current global political context. I am very, I'm very disturbed by what is happening in the Israel-Palestine insofar as uh, its impact on the future of human rights. 
sa totoo lang. Kasi yung ano, yung Israel and Palestine, ilang beses na yan ginawa ng nagkaroon ng attempt na dalhin din yan sa ICC. At hindi yan maka, hindi, hindi, hindi makabuelo ang mga organizations na gustong dalhin yan sa ICC kasi ang lakas-lakas ng lobby in favor of Israel. Uh, in so far as it's um, illegal occupation of Palestine. So, ibig sabihin, may politics na nagaganap kung bakit may pagkaselective yung mga cases na kayang pumasok sa ICC. Hindi natin ma-alis yeah, yan. May politics dyan. Pero it, more than yung ICC, ako disturb ako sa nangyayari ngayon sa Israel-Palestine kasi lahat na, lahat na yata ng, ng prinsipyo sa libro ng human rights ay nababiolate at lahat ng bansa na inaasahan mo dahil sila yung mga namuno ng binuo yung Universal Declaration of Human Rights after World War II, eh sila ngayon ang humaharang para dalhin ang Israel sa korte. At dal- man lang, itigil man lang yung, yung nangyayari ngayon sa Gaza. Kaya ang bigat-bigat na implication yan sa credibility ng human rights system kasi sila yung, yung mga bansa na to US, the UK, European Union, ito yung mga bansa na nagtutulak ng accountability ng mga bansa tulad ng panahon, tulad ng Pilipinas ng panahon ni Duterte. No, ito yung mga bansa na nagtutulak supposedly for accountability and yet, sila ngayon yung nasa front line na kailangan managot sa nangyayari sa sa Gaza. So, ang bigat ng repercussion yan sa future ng human rights. Uh, yung mga images tulad ng, Jew, ng ginawa sa mga Jews ng Holocaust, mabigat yan. Yung ibig sabihin yan sa ginagawa ng Israel ngayon sa Gaza. So, and the UDHR, if you remember, was framed because of what happened during the Holocaust. Uh, gusto ko na mag-interject dito. Okay, tama ka, no? Uh, <laughs> Is Israel is is quite influential, lalo na you know U.S. is a major ally of of Israel. So uh, that could be one reason why uh, Israel is 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 able to do these things with you know, in the past at least with impunity. But frankly, I mean, I've I've never seen this kind of public outcry against Israel in my life. No, uh, of course, deserving deserving naman bidahil sa ginagawa nila sa Gaza. No, but itong outpouring of support for for Palestine and uh, against Israel uh, worldwide parang parang uh, historic no but uh, g- but going back to the Philippines and and the ICC you know so I don't, I'm not sure if I see the parallel no so uh yung sinasabi mo na you know it's hard to make Israel accountable because you know because uh it's it's backed by the US which is very uh, influential in in making any country accountable no So do you think ganun din ba yung influence ng Pilipinas para hindi maging accountable si Duterte sa ICC, hindi hindi habulin ng ICC? No, si pero the Pangulong Duterte, I mean, what would stop the ICC from pursuing justice in the Philippines? It's the political context because the US now has found a very good ally out of the BBM government. So sa tingin ko, ang ang, ang onus ngayon will be on the BBM government whether it will pursue It will open the Philippines for investigation by the ICC prosecutor. Ngayon, pero the signal that's happening 
uh, globally, sa, sa global context, will play an important factor in terms of hanggang saan itutulak ng mga, ng mga government na ito na maka-influence sila sa uh, BBM government to open itself up. And I think that dyan naglalaro ngayon yung domestic politics, yung political dynamics ngayon between BBM and the Duterte's at saka yung usapin ng US to a certain extent, no? yung China, US-China conflict. It's very complex. Hindi mo makitaan immediately ng, ng evidence yan na may influence yan sa ICC. Pero it is playing a role. So, titingnan mo yan ang signal kung saan saan itutulak ni BBM ang pressure sa kanya regarding opening the country to investigation of Duterte's uh, crimes against humanity. Yeah, okay. Well, speaking of uh, domestic politics and, you know, what, you know, the the role of the Marcos government now is pag, pagdating doon sa kaso sa ICC, you know. I mean, si, si Senator Aimee Marcos uh, has been saying na, you know, the release of of Dilima from prison proves that the Philippine judicial system is working it and is there's working. no need for the ICC. Betty. Yeah, there's a, the, the International Criminal Court does not need to meddle anymore now with uh, with our affairs in the Philippines. Dahil nga, dapat pumasok ang ICC pag uh, nag-fail yung, uh, yung state no, in, in delivering justice for its own people. But kayo, anong pananaw niya? Does the release of Dilima prove anything? Does it help? Uh, the Philippine government's case when it argues that there's no need for ICC dahil, hey, we have rule of law here, we have, you know, we have justice in the Philippines. Yeah, ako ang tingin ko pogi points lang yan, hindi yan, yan ang first level ng communication nila, na yan ang, pag, yan ang palalabasin natin, palalabasin nila, no, that Dilima is a trophy for the BBM government in terms of the justice system is working. At paranggadi nila yan para makapunto sila sa para ma, ma-placate nila yung threat sa mga Dutertes na BBM is already uh, changing its mind about the ICC. First level of communication yan eh. Ang malalim na titignan dyan kung hanggang saan magpipressure ang sa hanggang saan susuporta ang US kay BBM para itulak ang ICC. Yan ang laro dyan. At, at isang point of leveraging dyan would be China. So, yun ang ano, yun, yun, ang, yun ang laro dyan eh. But US will can play can still play an influential role in terms of delaying or hastening the the ICC process uh, in the Philippines. That's how I look at it. Hindi magigibalay sa ICC ang, polit- ang global political dynamics na yan. Okay, nabanggit ko nung umpisa, no? you, you worked for a long time with uh, Amnesty International. No? Uh, what is that? Ano ba yung Amnesty International? Amnesty International is an international human rights organization that was established in the 1960s, nung panahon ng repression no, sa Portugal. No? So, a group of, a group of British uh, came together and started their letter-writing to the dictatorship then in Portugal for the release of the so-called what we known as prisoners of conscience. Anyway, it is a membership-based organization unlike um, other international human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch, for instance, no? um, it is a straightforward international NGO. Amnesty International is a hybrid of 
uh, being a movement because it has members in more than 100 countries. But at the same time, it is an NGO because it has an international secretariat with hundreds of staff from different um, parts of the world coming together and doing the research, doing their global campaigning, strategizing, etc., etc. When I got my post in 1990, uh, I was one of the two Filipinos in a staff of more than 400. Sa main headquarters to, sa London. Main headquarters sa London. Or, or is this work or, or worldwide? Uh, in no. London. Oh. In London, at the at the headquarters. Dalawa lang kaming Pilipino noon. And uh, nakabutan ko ang amnesty, which is predominantly talagang white, European, no or British. Kakaunti lang kami na galing from the, the, the third world or the south. Um, and I came at a very opportune time kasi yun yung panahon na nape-pressure na yung Amnesty International to be more diverse, to be more grounded no? in those countries where it has done very well in terms of research, researching and campaigning for human rights violation. So may, may pressure sa Amnesty na kailangan mas maging grounded siya sa mga bansa kung saan nag gumagawa siya ng kanyang investigation para Amnesty will really truly become a global movement. So, nangyari, tinawag ko siya ng opportunity kasi uh, at just, I came at the right time and so I was one of those very vocal inside the organization that really pushed for diversity, multiculturalism, etc., etc. Issues that were so unknown to an organization that is predominantly European-centered, if you like, no? And most of its funding came from uh, European Union chapters, no, and then U.S. and Canada. So yun. So the karong kami, ako and several others coming from the south became an important voice inside the organization. And uh, and I think that we made an impact in terms of expanding the the perspective of the organization. So, for a longest time, and even until now, Amnesty International probably is emblematic of the criticisms about human rights as being solely focused on civil political rights and not looking at socioeconomic rights. No? Malaking debate yan sa, sa loob ng global human rights movement, including within Amnesty. So, may mga adjustments yung ginawa, especially no nagkaroon ng malaking challenge sa mga Asian countries tulad ng Singapore, Malaysia, China na hindi na adequate na civil political rights lang ang binibigyan ng emphasis. Pag sinabing universality, indivisibility of rights, it should be looking at socioeconomic rights, no? And I think may validity, may strength yung criticism na yun sa human rights. And I really believe na yun yung sinasabi ko siya, may kritik ako sa human rights kasi nga Inko, talaga namang for a longest time, for many decades, ang primacy ng civil political rights naka-contribute din sa pagnanaro daw ng understanding ng publiko on what is after the human rights. Yun yung sinasabi ko siya kanina na nung tinatanong namin yung mga tao about human rights sa banon ng pandemya, ang tingin nila, legal yan, korte yan. Hindi nila nakikita na human rights ay tungkol din sa sikmura. Kasi nga, ganun ang naging paradigm for a longest time, no? And I have to admit na dapat talaga pakinggan ng mabuti ang mga sinasabi ng mga nakikritik na dapat bigyan din ng equal 
attention ang socioeconomic rights. At bakit hindi? Kasi the United Nations was designed such that when it comes to socioeconomic rights, walang malinaw ng mechanism to make governments accountable for on socioeconomic rights violations. Unlike civil political rights. Yun ang problem eh. Fundamental problem yan ng international human rights system natin. Hindi pa rin nagtatapos ang ating kwentuhan kasama ang veteranong aktivistang si Edna Aquino. Abangan ang part 2 kung saan sasagutin niya kung ang kasarian bilang babae ay may tuturing bang advantage o disadvantage sa politika.